This is the Chasing Sport Podcast with your host, Chris Dix, analyzing the practical and legal impact of breaking news in American sports. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Sport Podcast. My guest today is Brad Allen, who has experience in the sports betting industry in both the UK and the US. Brad recently wrote an article for the Legal Sports Report entitled, are U.S. sports betting operators ignoring key lessons from Europe? So I asked Brad to come on the podcast and talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned in the U.K., where sports betting has been legal for some time, as we kind of continue to legalize and extend sports betting here in the United States. So, Brad, thank you for coming on the podcast. And before we get started today, will you just talk a little bit about yourself? Tell us about your experience in the sports betting industry. Yeah, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on, Chris. Um, So I've been covering the sports betting and online gambling industry for maybe six years. First got into it just because, you know, I I, I love betting on on sports, love betting NFL, baseball. And so basically when when the opportunity came up to cover the industry for a job, I, uh, I jumped at the chance and been doing it ever since. Fantastic. For those of us in the United States that aren't as familiar with sports betting in the UK, can you give us a little bit of a historical overview of legalized sports betting in the UK? Yeah, so I guess the modern era of sports betting um, probably started around 2005, 2006. There was a there was a gambling act introduced, which basically deregulated the whole industry a little bit, like PASPA uh, in 2018 in the US. Um, okay. So you know, a lot of people in Europe will say oh, the US is 10, 15 years behind where we were, um, and I, I think that is that is broadly true. You know, after that after that act in 2005. It, all kind of exploded around 2008 2010 and and so on um and then more very much more recently um it's it's got it's gone the other way um there's been a real backlash on the industry um i was chatting to someone from a big uk operator recently and he was talking to his counterpart in the us and he said I'm, I'm really envious of you because you know, ten years ago, I, I had I had all the newspapers calling me out, asking me for odds and what we were doing on this and this kind of thing. It was all positive, and, <laughs> and that, that's where the US is now. And and now, you know, the, the UK stuff is: why have you done this? What what, what what have you done to this person? And it's all very negative. Right. So, tell us a little bit about that. What are some of the problems or consequences that resulted from legalized sports betting in the UK? Um, so essentially, it, it was just it was it was a bit of a wild west, you know that, that phrase is used a lot. But it was it was a land grab. It was just get as much get as many customers and rinse as much money as you can out of them. And there wasn't really a thought as to what the customer on the other end might be experiencing, whether they might be you know have have gambling problems or have the money that they can afford to lose. So there was that kind of ruthlessness on one hand, and then on the other, it was this this explosion of advertising um you know on i think like 18 of the 20 premier league teams had gambling companies on their t-shirts it was on pitch side advertising hoardings it was all the adverts in the breaks at half time you know it was it was just everywhere it was it was saturation and that led to pushback a you know people were like getting just fed up with you know a bit like dfs in 2015 just fed up with constantly being pounded in oh bet with petty power bet now bet in play you know, it was kind of relentless bombardment. And then following that, basically the press started getting hold of these stories about gambling addicts and and people with problems being taken advantage of almost like, 
you know, you there were sort of lots of individual stories of this person stole fifty thousand pounds from his employer to gamble with, and you know, he was given bonuses, he was given tickets to matches to keep him gambling, and so it really like the 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 view of the industry really turned from oh, this is a fun booming industry based on tech to this is a predatory industry just trying to take money from people who who can't afford it and and shouldn't be gambling. Wow. How did those problems get addressed or how are they being addressed either by the operators themselves or by governing bodies in sport or or even by the government? I would say initially it was the regulator. So the UK Gambling Commission, um, who basically they started handing out fines, sort of, you know, big seven, eight figure fines. You know, I think the biggest is something like 10 million maybe um, for things like not checking source of funds, not checking whether someone gambling could afford it. Um, you know, a lot of people were <laughs> literally stealing money from their employers and, you know, it's, 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 it's a requirement for operators to check, is this your money? Have you got this legally? Um, and people yeah. were doing that. They were, you know, have a bonus to keep gambling with us. So they started getting hit with quite big fines, um, which, which, forced, which forced operators to kind of sort themselves out a bit. Um, and then <clears throat> that burst, basically, I would say that's that's almost too little, too late. And now there's there's government, there's politicians who are calling for a lot more stringent just checks and, and kind of restrictions on the industry. So maybe like um, forced deposit limits. So no matter who you are or how much you can afford, you can only bet or deposit £500 a month, say, Um mm. On, on an operator or you know they, they're calling for an all-out advertising ban literally no no gambling adverts at all whatsoever so yeah o- not just in sport but a- anywhere anytime i mean, I mean yeah but it's, it's as i say it has become like an extremist the other way um, yeah and there, there, there obviously there is a middle ground to be found which we might we might discuss later but it, there is a real this industry is <laughs> evil basically and so again responding to that what have operators done? They have now, I would say, a lot of them sorted themselves out. So they've formed a new trade group, which kind of tries to tries to talk to politicians and, and the regulator more, you know, more as a unit and sort of a united front. They've introduced things like um, algorithms that, that can spot problematic behavior. So, you know, this person has suddenly upped their deposits this week. So that might trigger an alarm and that will trigger intervention. Are you sure you want to be betting this much? Um, or you know, fill out this questionnaire, you know, and it and you you won't be allowed to gamble until you finish the questionnaire. Um, so so they are they definitely have tried to step up. Um, I think it probably also helps that just consolidation in the industry means there's like I don't know, say eight companies left in sports betting, whereas yeah. five years ago there were thirty, and obviously you get some bad actors who are just who are just there to make a quick buck and who 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 don't care about the player. So, and obviously the bigger, the bigger these companies get, you know, they're listed, they've got thousands of employees and there, there's definitely more of a, a culture of we've got to do things by the book and, and, you know, follow the rules essentially. Um, so I think it is, it is changing a lot, but that doesn't mean there isn't still backlash going on and still a push to get even more, more uh, restrictions on gambling companies. Hmm. Before we talk about the U S for a couple of minutes, um, how does how has the the form of wagering changed uh, over this like ten or fifteen years? Are people can you do it on a mobile app now? Uh, has it do people do it on a computer or do you still 
you walk down the street to your local um, betting operator and go in the door and place your bet there. Has that yeah. has that kind of changed at all? Yeah. So even <clears throat> even before coronavirus, it was probably close to 75, 80% done on mobile now. Um, oh, wow. And probably a similar number in play as well. So, you know, rather than pre-match, people will be betting at halftime or, or whatever. And that, that's something of a function of UK sports. You know, football is always on the go and so is tennis, etc. So that kind of lends itself to in-play betting. People would watch watch heart, you know, 30 minutes of the game and go, oh, well, this team's attacking. I'll back on them. Um, and it obviously it's only becoming more so with with the shops shut recently. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much mobile dominated and um, in play betting dominated. And uh, I would say it's also compared to the US, it's a lot more lower stakes. You'll get a lot more sort of casual Saturday punters, we call them, come come on come onto the site on a on a Saturday morning, put a five pound accumulator on like six football teams to win. Uh, and just leave it at that. Whereas what you see in the US is a lot more $110 on the favorite on Monday Night Football to win 100. So that, you know, the stake is literally five, 10 times the size. Um, yeah. Which is, which is, is possibly a function of the US odds. Obviously, that, the, you know, the minus 110, it kind of psychologically, it's how much to bet to win 100, basically. So I think that's probably part of it. Um, and possibly also the the influence of Vegas, where it was always that holiday destination, and you put a big bet on rather than, you know, if, if you're in Vegas, you're there once once every five years or whatever. You're not you're not going to put a five pound accumulator on and just walk home. Yeah, I, we have an attorney in our office that every time he went to Vegas, he'd he'd put a a wager on the Cubs to win the World Series. Yeah. And that bet didn't pay off for many, many years until recently. <laughs> did, he, did, so, did, he, did he have it on the year they won? I, he did, but I think he's still net negative for the, for the overall <laughs> time yeah. period. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they didn't quite win enough World Series to make up for the, the times they didn't. I find that that's kind of an interesting development as I'm watching it here. I think it makes some sports a lot more interesting when you can place a wager on something other than the final outcome during the game. Cause then you're keyed in on something that you wouldn't otherwise be focused on. It's a little bit like a fantasy sports here too, like fantasy football. If you're watching a, a football game, you might be paying attention to particular players and their particular stats rather than the overall score of the game that you might not even care about. Yeah. Uh, oh, so that's, I get, that's kind of the key message that the industry should be pushing and i think that's kind of the important part of it as i said earlier you know i i love the industry i love betting um and it, it you know for 99 percent of people it is it is a leisure activity it does add to the enjoyment of a game and that's kind of you know that that's the narrative that needs to be pushed that it's not you know for the vast majority of people it's, it's not it's not a negative it is just it is just a leisure activity and yeah okay you lose money but so you lose money on every activity you, you don't go to the don't go to the pub spend 50 pounds on dinner and pints or whatever and say oh i'm down make for, money i'm down 50 pounds <laughs> at the pub you know it's just that's the price right. of your leisure right but right. for whatever reason it's not seen that way right interesting all right let's shift to the u.s so we had a supreme court decision in 2018 and after that Many states have either legalized sports betting or are kind of moving in that direction, some quicker than others, and some, you know, have been slowed or expedited by COVID. Uh, and I, just a quick plug, I think you're 
involved with the Legal Sports Report website and podcast. They do a fantastic job covering all of that in, in the United States. So for those of you listening that, that don't know about the Legal Sports Report, check that out. But let's talk about what are some of the potential problems or consequences, Brad, that you see as we start or continue to legalize sports betting here in the United States? Um, I would say the, the problem is that it is going down the same route as the UK went with this oversaturation of, of advertising. And, you know, just literally just today, while we're talking, the Detroit Lions have partnered with BetMGM. Uh, the Cubs have partnered with um, DraftKings to have a a, a, a sports book in their stadium and this is literally just today you know it's there's been a load of other of these deals all these companies are investing heavily now they you know they this is going to be a, a 20 billion dollar market in the next five ten years and they all want their their cut of that pie and they're all investing hundreds of millions now to make it the case which you know it it makes sense when you write out a business plan, customer acquisition cost is this, we think the customer is worth this, right, let's go invest $200 million this year. But when everyone's doing that, it's going to be, this NFL season is going to be nuts. And I think there's going to be a, a genuine pushback when when all these, when there's just constant ads, every sports team has a partner, every TV network in the US has a gambling partner, CBS, NBC, Fox Sports. They've all got gambling partners of some sorts. Everyone's going to be pushing sports books on you. And that we know that that leads to pushback. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a good point. You, you've you seen in the UK what happens when the, the ads and, and the sponsorships come about and move forward without a whole lot of restriction. I, and I haven't looked at it terribly closely, but it, it in the legislation that I'm hearing about, I don't hear in any of the states that there's a whole lot of regulation going on in terms of the advertising and really going back to the you know the sports themselves what kind of uh restrictions are are the sports governing bodies uh putting and i, I think they're kind of faced with a uh, with a problem of they see you know if you're one particular sport and you see other sports making these deals and generating a lot more revenue especially when you're not able to have people in person at your events uh, how well, what, you know, what, what's your other source of revenue? How can you make up that deficit that COVID or other things have kind of placed on you? And if, if you've got betting operators that are willing to, to, you know, infuse lots of money, you can basically save a sport, um, uh, in the short term yeah. <laughs> by doing that. But then the question becomes, all right, well, you, you save your sport in the short term, but how much are you of your soul, are you willing to sell? Uh, and you know, what are the consequences of that down the road? It, it, if, if making those deals causes a perception problem, uh, especially in the United States, we're really just not familiar with seeing betting companies on jerseys and, you know, pitch side ads and that kind of thing. Um, that it, it sounds like we're heading for some kind of adverse reaction down the road against the betting companies, but also against the sports themselves, right? The, the yeah. people will say to the NBA and major league baseball, why did you do this? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they'll know they'll, the attack will be, well, you did it because there was, they were just throwing money at you, but maybe you shouldn't have compromised the integrity of your sport um, to, to, for the money. So I, you know, I, I'm not taking a position either way on that. I think, like you said earlier, there might be some middle ground there where it can be done in a responsible way 
um, and uh, without going overboard and not not causing that that negative reaction. Yeah, as, as you say, is I think everyone everyone is currently seeing this as a as a as a as a line item on the financial report, right? Oh, we can get ten million dollars in here, and we, we've just lost twenty from uh, no fans. So this is good, right? Let's do this. Everyone else is doing this, and it is it is a gold rush, right? It is it is a rush to acquire new customers. Um, and who's who's brave enough? Who's the executive that's brave enough to to stand back and tell his board, "No, I'm not going to try and fight for our ten percent market share because um, you know <laughs> I think there's going to be a backlash." two years down the road like that's just not how that's just not how business works that's not how the industry works and so you know i guess it is up to it is up to trade associations i think that's that's what we've seen recently in the uk that they formed a stronger one of these because you do need everyone to work together and go right let's all exercise restraint together so so that's that's possibly the solution that you know there's there's a, a strong trade body who can kind of keep everyone in check and and check the bad actors so what are some of the lessons learned in the UK that can be applied in the US by the betting operators or by sport governing bodies or even by the, the governments that are passing laws? It's, again, it's, it's all about balance. I would say sports governing bodies did, haven't done much, essentially. And, and it's, it's a problem as well because obviously, just think about the athletes themselves. These are all like young men with loads of money, and I would say what we again what we've seen relatively recently is introduction of programs basically educating athletes about the risks of gambling because if it is pervasive, if if you know they're all sponsored by these companies and they're, they're athletes, they're risk takers, they've got money, they're you know they're 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 risky. They're, that's a that's a risky cohort of of people. Um, so I think, you know education schemes for athletes themselves is is something that's worth looking at for for the sports governing bodies in the US. I know from my experience with tennis that you you've got some players at the very top of the sport that make a lot of money from winning and from endorsement deals, but there's a lot of folks lower down in the sport, still professionals but trying to to make enough money to to get to the next tournament to afford their coaches and their physios and their equipment and everything. And that I know it sometimes at that lower level where there's still betting going on uh, that that presents a problem. I feel like that's maybe something, I don't know how that gets addressed. Uh, maybe it's a, the governing bodies address it, or maybe as things are being done from the lawmaker side, if the legislature is strong enough to, to pass something to make, to force a change, then that could happen that way. The problem is that these, the people that want to make the expansion continue They've got lobbyists and they're donating money and electing people that will support them in their and <laughs> what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And so it's kind of a, a push and a pull there. Yeah. That's, that's all. No, yeah, I'm you're told. you're right about you know, that's I guess regulators and legislators, they they have the chance to to write it into law initially. And then there's not even any wiggle room. It's not you're not relying on the industry to self regulate. Um but again <laughs> we don't we don't have that in the US though, right? I mean yeah. you have the the UK Gaming Commission. We, we don't have a US Gaming Commission that I know of that that has the kind of regulatory oversight over the whole industry like yeah. you do in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, and and I guess there's no one really lobbying for that. Like there's you know there's there's groups like the National Council for Problem Gambling. I think it's called in the US. But you know they're they're not lobbying in every state 
and every state legislator like like MGM will be, you know, like DraftKings will be. So, you know, I guess it's that that's not that's not really that side of the argument's not really being heard by regulators at the minute. I wouldn't say. What What is your? Let me ask your thought on that. I I generally tend to think that regulation it can sometimes be inefficient, and I don't know that it always works as well as people envision it when they pass a law requiring it. Does the UK Gaming Commission do they do an effective job? Is that a, <laughs> is that a sensitive question? <laughs> no, I, I would say it is widely seen that they don't do an effective job. Uh, some of it is that they're probably un- underfunded. Some of it is they don't attract, you know, I, I'm sure like many industries, gambling, online gambling is a lot more complex than it looks from the outside. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, you know, especially sports betting, there's so much of like ecosystem and odds and price movements, which is, you know, unless you've literally worked in the industry and understand how it all works, it, it's very, it's very complex. And unfortunately, people at the Gambling Commission have don't have that experience. It's, it's just not a career path. You don't leave a bookmaker and go and work for the Gambling Commission for whatever reason. It just doesn't happen. Um, and so... They don't pay enough money. <laughs> uh, maybe, yeah. It, it might be that. So they're, yeah. they're, they're dealing with this constantly evolving, complex, sort of shady industry. And they don't have enough budget. They don't have enough staff. And then... Meanwhile, they've got politicians on the other side sort of moving the goalpost. Oh, well, you weren't strong enough. Now we need you to be super hard. And, right. and it's it's just all a bit of a mess. Um, so I, I guess like a lot of digital industries, it is, uh, you know, to regulate it is a struggle. One thought I had, you know, the, the sports gambling industry, to me, reminds me a lot of what we don't call it gambling, but the stock market yeah. and investing. And, and we have a Securities and Exchange Commission, which has huge oversight, huge regulatory enforcement power, and, and very good people that work for it, that understand the markets and understand when people are manipulating it. And they do a, a relatively good job, I think, of, um, of keeping the, the in the U.S. the financial markets as clean as possible. Maybe that's where the expansion needs to happen. Maybe you put it under the SEC yeah. <laughs> or have some of the people from the SEC, you know, move over and, and start the the U.S. gambling uh, commission. But, but something like that, I, I certainly think it's possible, but you'd have to throw a lot of good people and money at, at that kind of organization in order to make it something that's effective. Yeah, and well, there is. Therein so, lies the challenge. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry to interrupt. There is there is a yeah. small cohort of people who argue that sports bets are essentially futures contracts. You know, when this game ends, we'll pay you this much, and that they should therefore be regulated by the CFTC. Um, and I I suspect we might hear more more on that in the future. From you know, as as sports betting exchanges start trying to launch, that might be an argument they might try and make. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. On a similar note, I would say financial markets and stuff in the UK, I, I don't think they're held to the same standard as, as betting operators. You know, have some some sort of brokerage accounts, trading accounts, and they're mm-hmm. nowhere near the same level of scrutiny. Like, oh, you know, they don't check where your money comes from. There's no source of funds checking. There's no, <laughs> are you trading too much? Like, you know, the same way you have, are you betting too much? Um, right. So, so it's quite interesting hear how that works and i and i you know you've seen it in the us but there's no one in there's no one on robin hood going 
can you afford to open this options contract or whatever? Um, so I, th- I do think it's quite interesting how those those two uh, sit alongside each other sometimes. Yeah, I I know when just when the internet kind of expanded and online, you know, investing first started taking root. That was <laughs> it was kind of the wild west. You could just get on and for without calling someone who could tell you or question you about whether that was a good idea or not. You could just get on and take your money, transfer it, and wager it. (laughs) And I think that led to a lot of consequences for a lot of people because the dot-com boom kind of happened during that same time. And then the fall-off from that uh, wiped a lot of people out. Yeah. Um, So in some ways, that problem kind of corrected itself. (laughs) Well, if, if you could change just one thing, Brad, about legalized sports betting in the UK, what would it be and why? I was having a chat about this one earlier because nothing immediately came to my mind. So I chucked it out to a few of my my gambling friends. And uh, the one thing that came up a couple of times was limits. Um, You know, I know this is a popular topic in the US, sort of limits imposed on sharp bettors and it's seen as unfair. And that issue is basically, it's become almost tired in the UK, like professional gamblers and stuff. That's just a fact of life that you will get limited. And it's, it's, we've moved on from don't complain about it to kind of how do you get around it you know find you open accounts in other people's names etc um but I, w- I would say in the uk it's definitely gone too far the limiting you know it, basically it is really really hard to beat bookmakers long term and they seem to they seem to underestimate underestimate themselves like a, a lot of people might be sharp in one sport say cricket trading or whatever but yeah. You know, these people are gamblers. They 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 want to watch football on a Sunday and have a bet as well. So I think a lot of these people they've been just chucked out with the bathwater. You know, they've been banned. When actually they probably would have been long term customers, even if only one or two percent positive. Um, but they've just been chucked out with the bathwater. Um, so I, I would, if I could change one thing, it would be the limits were just a, a little bit more friendly to to the betters. What about if they kind of split it up? If you had like your common recreational account that had a limit, but if you if you wanted to, somehow you could qualify to be a professional gambler and, and that would give you some kind of higher limit or, or no limit. No <laughs> nobody wants that exists now. <laughs> no, no, nobody wants the professional gambler, do they? But like, you know, at the end of the day it's a zero sum game. It's not like the stock market where the whole market goes up five percent. You know, all money in the sports betting ecosystem is money from losing betters. So why why would the bookmakers want to give some of that away to professional betters? That they, they just don't want to do it. So uh, yeah, that's yeah, not going to happen. That one. I see. Because the, if they did that, then they'd be allowing the winners yeah to win more. They'd be can, cannibalizing their own profits essentially. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Uh, all right, well, let's look at the U.S. Then same same kind of question. If you could change one thing in the U.S. Uh, right now uh, with legalized sports betting, what would it be? Well, I, I thought I might spin this a little bit more positively, if if okay with you. And I'll tell you the, the two things I actually think the U.S. is doing better than than the U.K. Because we've touched on a few oh, things where they need to where they need to improve, perhaps. And one yeah. is, one is the limits. You know, there's a lot of there was a lot of outcry from from people on social media when when they first started realizing that that winning betters could get limited um and i would say that has that has had some impact um bookmakers in the us do seem more obliged to take bets they will take bigger bets um and you know that's i think that's definitely a good thing uh and the other thing is the palpable error rule um in the uk basically you know 
this is this is quite widely applied where if if a bookmaker's put the wrong price up, they can just cancel the bet, void the bet. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in the US, you know, so in the UK, that that can be applied quite liberally. Um, mm-hmm. And in the US, it seems regulators are not going to allow that to happen. If a bookmaker's made a mistake, um, they're going to be forced. Tough to, one. Yeah, get insurance for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and that's a good thing. I, I think that is a good thing because yeah. what you 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 know just don't make errors. Obviously, some things will happen, but you know that's going to be a cost of doing business in the US. Um, and I think that's that's a good thing for the better. Very good. All right, Brad. Well, I appreciate your time today. You, I think, helped me understand a lot about where you guys have been in the UK and and where we might be headed <laughs> here in the USA, and some some ways that we can hopefully avoid some of the missteps and, and come out maybe better as a result of that. So, appreciate your time. Anything else before we conclude? That is it for me, Chris. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks so much, Brad. Thank you for listening to the Chasing Sport podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, check out our prior episodes, and visit our website at chasingsport.com. Please note that nothing in this episode should be construed as legal advice. Until next time, I'm your host, Chris Dix, and this is the Chasing Sport podcast.